Welcome to the Brattle Bookshops podcast, conveniently called the Brattlecast. Stories about books, old, rare, and out of print, the people who buy, sell, and collect them, and so much more. I'm Jordan Rich, and of course, I'm joined by the man himself, uh, Ken Gloss, who has a long personal and public history with all this kind of stuff. And there's no better place to visit when you come to Boston. Make it a point on your tour here to visit the Brattle uh, Bookshop, which is on West Street. All right. Uh, when you walked in today, we you said we're going to talk about various things and various podcasts. But then one particular image caught my eye. Why wouldn't it catch my eye? I am looking right now at a Playboy, well, what looks like, very much like a Playboy magazine, but what are those dots on the cover, Ken? Well, this is uh, from 1971. <laughs> this is incredible. And it is a Braille Playboy, literally a Playboy in Braille. And if you talk about you got Playboy to read the articles, this is sort of the epitome of that. Now, this is what year again? 19... This is 1971. I, I, first of all, I would imagine other magazines, of course, were Braille uh, offered. Absolutely. They should be. But it's just so odd and so funny to see a Playboy magazine known for its articles, yes, and its pictures to be this way. Where did you come across this, by the way? Uh, well, this was, again, I go to houses and estates. We bought a large collection, uh, and there were some magazines and we were pulling them out, and we go, wait a minute, that doesn't look like Playboy. It doesn't seem, and then saw it, and it was Braille. And of course, when you think of Playboy, it seems like a dichotomy to talk about Braille Playboys. But the reality is, Playboy started in the 1950s, and the first issue, the famous one, was Marilyn Monroe was the centerfold, which really got the magazine off the ground and going, which is also a fairly valuable collectible that can uh, run I would imagine. it can run into the thousands of dollars. But as Playboy got into the sixties, seventies, it was a time when there were a lot of really great writers writing for Playboy. Uh, you you would even have someone like Eldridge Cleaver talking about a black you know, he was a Black Panther. He had articles and interviews. Um You'd have some of the greatest writers, and you know, sort of when you look back on it, it sounds funny, but they had great literature in Playboy. Oh, I remember, uh, and I'm not being cute here. I remember becoming a fan of Gay Talese because he used to write a lot of uh, pieces there, and and William F. Buckley. I mean, there was a huge cauldron of great writers. Well, there was also this sort of the new. Uh, journalism and the new writers that all wrote in. A lot of them wrote for Playboy. Playboy paid well. That was one of the things. They, they paid very well so they could get a lot of the top writers. They obviously sold very well for a, a number of reasons. But the, and, and, the, and the interviews, too, were famous. Absolutely. They were, they were must-reads, no question about yeah, it. I, I mean, mean, Remember the Jimmy Carter interview? Oh, the yes. Lust in His Heart interview? Yes, and very famous. But what happened was in their— in the 1930s, the Library of Congress and the United States government started putting a lot of magazines, a whole series of magazines, in Braille for sight disabled, uh, hard, you know, they did it so that mm. there was a, a possibility that people could read and go through them. And there was a demand for Playboy. It actually, once they put it in Braille, it was one of the more popular issues, and you could get it through the library. 
or through the Library of Congress, you could have it delivered to your house. Uh, and it was one of the more popular uh, items and magazines that they put out. It turned out, though, to be a little bit controversial, if you can imagine. Gee, I wonder why. Well, first of all, they had no written descriptions of the photographs, yeah. and they didn't try to do that. <laughs> but Playboy has an advice column. It has some of those, the jokes the jokes, oh. and, and some of those that in the 1970s, a few very conservative politicians, uh, one from Georgia in particular, started objecting. They're saying the United States government should not subsidize and pay to have this type of what they consider almost pornography subsidized by the citizens and mm -hmm. your tax players. The thing is that a lot of people objected to that. And then in the 1980s, there was a Ohio congressman who literally wanted Playboy stopped. He absolutely wanted it stopped. But he didn't want to stop the publication of all Braille. So he subtracted it. At the time, it cost about $100,000 to produce the Playboy for about a thousand customers and libraries they had uh, for the monthly publication. He said, I want that pot cut specifically out of the budget, specifically for Playboy. And it passed. I uh, got it through. In the uh, earlier, in the 70s, it didn't get cut out because it got put in with a fu another funding issue. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't, you know, as politicians mainly do. So it got, it got essentially banned, censored. The Library of Congress said it was censored. Uh, then it, there was a suit. There was a, a blind person who sued. There was uh, actually a blind woman who said, just because I'm blind doesn't mean I shouldn't be able to receive, get, and have access to what I want to get. It's legal for anyone who can see to get it. Absolutely. And, and it begs the question, and I don't know the answer. I don't know if you know it, but I mean, does the Library of Congress say take a, a novel like Lolita and create that? I mean, there are so many questionable pieces of art. Uh, that I actually don't. Actually, I, I, when I leave here, I'll, I'll go <laughs> I just check. wondered about but, that. Uh, it's actually interesting as we go on in this story and podcast. So it, it, start, it basically uh, Playboy... Uh, the civil rights, uh, people for the blind, mm. all sued, and it went to federal court. And they ended up winning because uh, that it could be published because they said that if it's legal, that the you shouldn't have any way to say this particular group of people uh, should not have access to it as opposed to this group of people who have full access to it. I've been very active with organizations that uh, deal with visually impaired uh, services, and I, I think this is safe to say that with the advent of new technologies, talking books and so forth, and uh, scan to, to read, print, uh, Braille is, is still done, but it's done less now than it has been in the past. It's a, I don't want to say it's a dying trend, but it's moving in that direction. So these are treasures, you know, obviously from the past that well, we need to save. Absolutely. And and actually, these Braille uh, Playboys, they can sell as a collectible for $100, $150. And there are people who collect Braille writings, Braille books, Braille items. You can go back to the 1800s 
and have a lot of braille printing. And, and just even seeing the printing and how they did it uh, is a whole collectible area. But it's interesting because this is still being this was still being published up until a number of years ago. I'm not quite sure if they still do it. But one of the reasons, uh, one of the articles I read from around the turn of this century, 2000, mm. actually just got to the point exactly what you you were saying, is you really don't need Braille. Mm. Most, they were saying that it used to be every one in three or four people who were blind could read Braille. Mm. Now it might be one in 10 or one in 20, because exactly, mm. you can take something and it can either be scanned or through digital readers, it can be read, or through a podcast. If somebody's Absolutely. reading, you can get it. Uh, there's so much more access to people. Also, if a person's just vision impaired, there are so many more ways of getting information, getting items of even, depending on how their eyes are, the images that can be given to them. But the, probably the main one is things can be scanned now easily. Things can be read easily. There's just in one time, one done, electronically, you can have that to all over the world. And let's look at one more aspect of what we're talking about. The the whole industry, the magazine industry, uh, for, for the most part, has shrunk because there's not as much interest and not as much ad revenue and you take a look at a Playboy, an actual Playboy, not that we're doing that now, <laughs> from 1975, and you compare it with a typical magazine today. It's even a, a, our local Boston magazine is half the size that it was. It's just the, the nature of media. Well, the nature of media, uh, advertising is done completely differently. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, Facebook, which can be very controversial, but uh, Google. Uh, one of the reasons, though, that this at the time was a little bit controversial and you got into congressmen and all that is it doesn't have ads. There, there aren't any ads in this. So it was produced by the Library of Congress, by the taxpayers, by the government, right, right. And, and was totally subsidized in that fact because you couldn't do it with advertising revenue. Right. No, I mean, uh, I, I, for the life of me, I wouldn't even know how that would work. I mean, unless you had a specific audience that you were trying to hit with a specific product or service that was only related to that audience, it seems like a very difficult... Well, I think you could probably do it with... If you were looking to sell toothpaste or something, which w wouldn't have been Playboy's normal mm. advertising, you know, you could read in Braille about a product, and, and, but usually right. advertising, even more than the images in Playboy, are very image-related, and I think that had something to do with it. But they also wouldn't have paid to produce. Uh, think of what it would have cost to put an ad into. Oh, yes. And, and they weren't going to pay for that you know, small portion of people, which is one of the reasons that the government was putting out things in Braille, uh, was putting out items, was subsidizing it. And it wasn't just Playboy. Mm -hmm. It was many of the popular magazines at the time, and it, it gave access. Now, one of the things that when I get calls, and a lot of times people do call me, uh, they say, are there books uh, like, you know, some of the ones that you wouldn't think of necessarily available to the blind? And what I always say is call the Perkins Institute in Watertown. They're the experts. They know. 
and that's right. what they're set up to do. Uh, but I also find it fascinating because I will have to admit when this came in, uh, <laughs> myself and the other people who looked, who worked at the store, we had never seen it. Mm. We didn't know know what it was. Well, I mean, we knew it was Playboy. That we can see and read. But um, we never realized there was a Braille version. And, of course, your first reaction is to say, wow, that's strange. <laughs> but but then when you realize and you get into the study yeah. of it, that it's really a very important thing, that the court cases that came up with this is very important and the more that you can get information, however that information is, whatever form it is in, to people and not restrict it is probably a good thing. I mean, you know, you could talk about banning books and all of the great books that have been banned or people wanted banned. Uh, and in 99% of the cases, it probably shouldn't be. Mm. And when you do have to do something like that, it really should be uh, very well thought out. And the reality is, in most cases, it's more the mores of the time than it is that it really hurts anybody. Well, of all the podcasts we've done, and we've done well over 60, I, this might be the one that had my mouth open when you walked in and just had this <laughs> tucked under your arm, the Playboy Braille edition. <laughs> but it's fascinating, and it and it served its purpose, and it was also, as you say, um, a beacon and uh, a court case, a very important one. So. Absolutely. And, and when you start reasoning, why should somebody who can't see be restricted from mm. reading things that anybody who can see? Well, anyone who can listen is listening to this podcast and uh, sharing it with friends. And we invite you to do just that, to download it, to rate us, to review us, and certainly subscribe and tell every everyone on your block about the Brattle Bookshop in Boston and the Brattle cast. And uh, Ken, all I can say, yes? One more thing I'll add to this one is if anybody has any suggestions, ideas, because some of the subjects that I've done now where we're getting them out and people are starting to respond, if there's any subject that you think of and say might be interesting, I've probably, of the numbers I've got, I've probably done half of them. Well, when it comes to interesting, you, you look up interesting in the dictionary, you're there. Your picture. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. Ken Gloss, I'm Jordan Rich. Thanks for listening. This has been the Brattlecast. Cast.